Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor at the Investors Chronicle. I'm joined today by Harriet Russell. How are you doing, Harriet? Yeah, good, thanks, John. Excellent. Busy week? Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. You, well, you wrote Taking Stock, didn't you? I did, yeah. We'll which we might, we might talk about, which is about, we will talk about, which is about company reporting, a report that came out from a consultancy who I'd never heard of, but I have now called... Radley uh, Yelder. Radley Yelder. Mm. And what's this about? Uh, it's basically looking at why uh, there's this whole host of reporting which is sort of underutilised by investors, um, but it's also changing and, and what investors might be able to get out of those changes um, and sort of looking at it in a much more holistic way. And, and they've kind of ranked the usefulness of various companies' annual reports. Yeah, and, uh, that's what we, what first kind of caught our attention about the whole thing was, um, yeah, I mean, not to spoil it, but Land Securities did top the list for the third year running. All right. And uh, Phil Oakley, how are you doing, Phil? Very good, thank you. Excellent. And we're going to talk today about uh, house builders, which you've written about in your alpha update. And we're all going to chip into a little discussion about the supermarket industry, uh, specifically Cardo, which had results this week. Mm-hmm. And then very shortly after those results, all hell broke loose. Yeah. Almost literally. Almost literally. The results were out at the usual 7am and uh, at 12.56pm, to be precise, they announced that their Andover distribution centre had caught fire. Right. So, I mean, Ocado is a company that I have long struggled to get my head around. Uh, to put my cards on the table, I don't like it. I don't buy the story. I'm, I, I mean, it's kind of changed what it is over the years. Now it's a tech stock. But, but we've got some questions about it. Phil's, Phil's shaking his head there. And Phil, before you came in, I mean, it's not a company you've looked at in great detail, but we had a quick look at the numbers beforehand. Um, and I know you have some very strong views on this kind of thing. Before we come on to that, we need to ask whether the results themselves were any good. This, after all, was the best performing share of 2018. So is it living up to that incredible performance? Yeah, I mean, shortly before we came down, I, I, I said to you, it, it's one of my most trolled stocks um, because about 18 months ago, two years ago, I tried to sell it. I, I agreed very much with your point of view, which is that it's not a, a share worth having. And um, although, although I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, uh, in, if, you know, in, in pure performance, yeah, share by performance sense, totally, I was wrong. And I was too. And let's say thank you, dear readers, because you let me know. <laughs> But having said that, my overall view on the stock is and has been consistently pretty negative. And no, these results don't change my mind, in short. Um, but if you're asking me if they're a good set of numbers, the answer is it depends what numbers you look at. So what numbers should we be looking at? Well, so turn, let's look at turnover. Yeah. So revenue. the company really want you to look at revenue, like a tech stock, Um which is, yeah, is up 12.3%. Average orders per week are up. So you've got good volume growth behind that number, which is where you would want any retailer, if we're looking at it as such, to be. Um, and they make a lot of um, sort of noise around cash profits as well. Um, the problem with cash profits is that they were actually down a fifth year on year. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have signed all of these international new partnerships. And as well as developing those, they're developing their own capacity in the UK. Um, and it's costing them a lot of money, frankly. Um, and no one quite knows how much money, um, certainly in terms of any long term projection. Um, and it's all rather opaque. And I'm not really sure why you're going to pay out when you can't even value it on a price to earnings metric um, for that 
for that sort of growth. It's not it's not astounding growth. It's not anywhere near an ASOS or you know any of those other stocks that have been accused of moving into the tech space. And, and that turnover line, it's not exactly a big number in no, the grand scheme of the tech industry. Yeah, exactly. Um, any of those tech stocks will be able to report turnover growth in the range of sort of 50%. And presumably quite a lot of that turnover is still coming from the sort of humdrum business of, of selling groceries. Totally. Um, and there's it's had renewed speculation this week. There's been a lot more attention paid to it because people now think that maybe they might be signing up Marks and Spencers as their latest sort of contract. And, and this is what has been driving the share price. Yeah. The, these deals that are essentially for its technology platform. So, so you know, I mean, I remember hearing many years ago, no, 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 this is, we're, this is not about the business selling groceries. We're, we're trying to, we're using it. It's a, it's a kind of proof of concept of this technology that we have, this robotic picking. And, you know, the deals will come. And they came and everyone said, okay, you, you were right. But we don't know much about them. This, to me, remains the problem. Yeah, and nor do even the analysts. And that's when I get really worried is when I, is when I phone the analysts and say, what do we think about this? What do we think about that? And they say, we don't, we don't really know. And they, they haven't given much detail on the, the, the rumour with Marks and Spencers. Have they actually formally announced anything? No, on nothing no, at all. So it's just a rumour? Just right a now. complete rumour. Um, it was broken, I think, in the mail on Sunday, if that's correct, um, last week. So they've obviously got some sort of insider telling them something. But um, no, the company has not addressed that rumour at all. Well, they've been mentioned for oh, years, years with Ricardo, Marks and Spencers. You know, the company that has been so poor in selling food over the internet. And obviously, they're seen as perfect bedfellows for each other. Yeah, except and, John and, and, and I have and it doesn't, issue. And it doesn't happen. <laughs> because we, we often think that Marks & Spencer's sits quite apart from a lot of other food retailers. Well, it's a convenience retailer. Exactly. As in, it's not a weekly shop, need it delivered online. No, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, as I say, yeah, it's a convenience retailer. It's You go in there you know, with a basket rather than a trolley totally, and you buy yeah. some things that you need to make dinner that day or for a couple of days. Well, uh, or, you, or you go in there to buy your love sausage. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, for Valentine's Day. Let's no, put that I, in I'm context. Not, I'm, not being, I'm not making a smutty joke here. No. That's Marks and Spencer's smutty joke. I know. Uh, terrible. From their Twitter feed, which you have conveniently printed out for us here. Thank I you. I just can't. My Mark's fave. Mine. Not mine. <laughs> um, I mean, but yeah, it's a convenience retailer. But sort of going back to Ricardo, I mean, from what I've sort of, my sort of patchy view on this, they've done, they've done a deal with Morrison's. Casino in France and Kroger in America. Is that, are those are the three big ones? Uh, there's been another one, Sobeys and ICA. Yeah. Yeah. So where's where's the cash flow coming from these deals? Yeah, totally. Where's the profit? Where's the from these deals? Or are these you know is this the jam tomorrow that hasn't come yet? I mean, my my big question about about this versus say a software platform is you know a software platform you build it once and you you get a bit of code that you can then you know it costs you a lot to build it but then as you but then you can sort of sell it you, you know ad infinitum without incurring extra cost. This model. And I, this is why I struggle to get my head around. Please correct me if I'm wrong. It requires a massive warehouse to actually make it work. There's a huge cost. So there's a huge business. cost to build yeah. it. Yeah, there's huge amounts of cash being shelled out here. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, you know, forget all this stuff about is it a tech stock? Is it, is it a food retail stock? It's a company. Yeah, it's a company. And if you're an investor looking at a company, you want it to produce profits and you want it to cash and you want that to come and flow to you. And this is not happening with Ocado. Ocado is shelling out more and more cash. And no cash is coming back 
There's nothing left over. And in fact, last year, they asked their shareholders for cash. They did a placing. Yeah, I think you looked at that, Phil, didn't you? You put some very quick numbers together on, on the cash burn, on the money that's come in. Yeah, I mean, essentially, that since I went back and looked back to 2007, which is the numbers that we've got, there's been a billion pounds of money invested in this business. And there has been around 600, 700 million of equity raised from shareholders. And there's been an outflow, cumulative outflow, of 400 million of free cash flow. This company has never produced any free cash flow. So any, so there's trading cash flow, but all the trading cash flow is going back in, in terms of warehousing, IT spending, that kind of thing. And the trading cash flow in subsequent years isn't growing enough so that there's actually something for shareholders left over. I guess I guess their argument would be, yeah, but that's going to come one day when we are the yeah, dominance global yeah, platform yeah, yeah, for robotic but store picking. Some, but it's always tomorrow. You know, this this is a company that's valued as a market capitalization of six point seven billion. Just check before. Yeah, because actually it's six point nine as per right? our results story. Oh yeah, because well, I've got six point six here, but I guess it rose after the results and then it's come back down again after yeah. the fire. So Still you, very expensive. So you yeah. have to ask yourself, you know. Forget what you know. Just look at the valuation because this is this is the thing that you know. You can look at the business and you look at the valuation. Of course, you have to look at both together, but you have to ask yourself what kind of profit is a company valued at six point seven billion? What kind of profit does company eventually have to make to justify that price tag? And you're talking, you know, eventually five, six, seven hundred million of trading profit. And you know, if you look at the forecast, it's it's losing money, and it might make fifty million quid in three years' time or two years' time. Now, fifty million. If I'm a business person looking to buy this company outright, and the market's put six point seven billion pounds price billion pound price tag on this, and I'm getting fifty million quid back in trading profits in two years' time, if the forecasts are right, that's not a good deal. Yeah, absolutely. I think the comment you made earlier, Phil, was that you know this this should still be in private equity or, or VC or you know, yeah. whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, this is it's a complete speculation, and I don't I don't mean this to be you know aggressive about it or derogatory about it in terms of you know being nasty, but you know I'm sure that there's a genuine attempt here to create something very meaningful, but at the end of the day. As an, as an investor, you've got to start seeing the cash. Well, and it's interesting because a comment from Tim Steiner in the results statement said, our growth story is only just beginning. Well, it began over and 10 years ago. Your mind boggles. You just think, how can, how can you be so... Well, it's, it's chutzpah, to yeah. say the least. <laughs> this, this, is a business, this has been in business 20 years, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. Is it 20? I think it's, wasn't it part of John Lewis once upon a time? I thought it was a startup coming out of with some guys from Goldman Sachs, including Tim Steiner. Putting yeah, I, together. I, I, it's over a decade anyway. I mean, it's John, Lewis, John Lewis owned a stake in it, didn't they? They may well have done because obviously because you've got of the, the waitress, waitress relationship, yeah. uh, which is coming to an end as well. Hence the Marks and Spencer speculation. That was going to be my final sort of bit on that was to say that obviously the Marks and Spencer rumor has gathered pace because the waitress contract expires next September 2020. So there's this whole kind of like we've got a high end UK supermarket gap to fill and. Could Marks and Spencers do that? I, 
I personally think our point still stands that what Waitrose does does in food retailing is starkly different to what M&S does in food retailing. So, so I, it actually might not even plug the gap. No. But what what I don't know what of Waitrose said, are Waitrose still going to use Ocado because the agreement ends but they can still use them, can't they? Totally, and they can renew the contracts. Yeah. So, you know, until Waitrose comes up with a better plan, I'm I'm not really sure why people think that September 2020 is this sort of final deadline. But, but there's not a lot of growth in Waitrose. There isn't, but there is market share. And Marks and Spencer's, unfortunately, and this is an oversight in Kantar's data, doesn't always fall into the same market share kind of appropriation. That's why I would say the market doesn't view what M&S does in food retailing in, in the same way as do, traditional supermarkets. Do they not fall into the other outlets, symbols? And I've got some figures in front of me here. They may well, actually, but... But they're small. It's t- it's marginal. Not so, small as a car, though. No, and they, they will never break that out, Cantar, so But, it's but what's the cost tell. going to be? Let's say you get a deal with Marks and Spencers, and we've already alluded to it in terms of basket size. So it's going to have, unless you put all the all the really expensive treat foods that Marks and Spencer sells, it's probably going to have a lower basket size mm-hmm. than than the standard Ocado business. So what's what's the actual profit of delivering that to somebody's house? Is there a profit in it at all? Yeah. So I mean, Ocado basket exactly. size, what is it, 80, 90 quid, something like that. Yeah, the average. I mean, it fluctuates, but yeah, it's anywhere between um, sort of. It's around the seventy pounds. It's, it's a weekly shop. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, as you say, you know, M and S, you go in there, it's for thirty, twenty, thirty quid. Uh, and let's yeah. be brutally honest here. No, none of the supermarkets have, have given you know concrete proof that they can make meaningful money delivering groceries to people's houses every week. Yeah, I don't know. How, I yeah, you're, you're right. I, I mean, I know what we shop. Uh, we shop online. We buy from Sainsbury's. Uh, I, I too can't see how that. Well, we, we, well, pay, we pay a little delivery fee. Yeah, but, yeah, um, but you look at Saint, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Tesco. They're all making two, three pence in the pound profit. Tops. Yeah, I know. Say, I know Tesco wants to get to four percent with the help of Booker and sacking lots of people and that kind of thing. But the, these are thin margin businesses. Before you even start layering on the delivery costs. Most of it's in-store picking. We can see that even with Ocado, picking out of a warehouse is making nothing. And then, so so how on earth are you, gonna, are you actually going to start turning this into a profitable model when there's so much competition in supermarkets in the first place? And then you're laying on um, delivery costs. You know, the, the, the consumer is only going to have so much tolerance of how much they will pay to have it delivered. Mm. And the question is, you know, you're not going to be able to get the consumer to pay 15 quid to have it delivered, probably. Uh, No, I suspect not. I suspect not. I mean, you know, I guess one response to this, uh, which you've alluded to, Tesco Booker, build scale. Uh, You know, something that we talk about in the magazine this week uh, in uh, a feature written by Philip Ryland, uh, which is our sort of secondary feature because we have a supplement, which is the main feature, uh, is around uh, the Competition uh, Commission or what is now called the Competition Markets Authority. And this was really prompted by what's happening uh, at Sainsbury and its potential merger mm-hmm. with uh, I said merger, question <laughs> league is takeover, merger, merger, merger with Asda. Now. I guess we have some views on this. Philip's view is that, you know, the Competition Commission, Competition Markets Authority even, um, might get tough with this deal. So 
building scale in this way is potentially not the answer for someone like Sainsbury's. We haven't looked at this for a while. Not but, for a but while. I, I just get that. I mean, Sainsbury's, it seems to be all quiet on the Sainsbury's front. And, and I wonder that it's keeping quiet because things are not going great there. No, they, they've been moved up to a second phase investigation from the CMA, which... They they claim they always knew was going to happen, even before they mooted the deal. So, what that tells me is that the CMA, you know, Philip's correct. The CMA is correct is is ready to get super tough on this deal if it has to be. Is that because it was super lenient when it came to <laughs> Tesco Booker? Yes, I think so. <laughs> A lot of people were very surprised at, at, in the end that Tesco Booker basically faced absolutely no repercussions for that deal. Although um, they, were, they were kind of different businesses, so there were sort of legal arguments that meant it could get around some of the competition concerns. There was store business in there, though. Yeah, that's that, was the big, that was the big problem. People expected dis- some disposal on that front to make it more kind of lean and obviously less of a dominant force afterwards but but there wasn't um but i think john your point is is a good one which is that tesco booker at least to my mind and this is how i think about it to me is a very vertical deal and sainsbury's asda is a very horizontal deal it's a flat deal it's about scale it's about more outlets it's about building market share that way tesco to me was much more about how can we take control of basically our entire supply chain and take quite a lot of pricing power in the market and and go into different areas i mean booker has uh it's it's a distributor it's a cash and carry essentially but also servicing the food service market so that the restaurant industry which obviously tesco doesn't do absolutely so not only could it then supply itself via that whole wholesale chain you're right it could supply any number of food related businesses um so yeah not a totally vertical business but to me that's how i look at it it's like a up and down versus a straight across and looking at the market share data coming out of Kantar, at least for the sort of Christmas period, it was very interesting to see how how that might change. Yeah, so I mean, I've got the data in front of me. Sainsbury's have got 15.9% of the market, as they're 15.3, although they've been going backwards over the past mm. few years. Uh, Tesco got 27.7. This would make Sainsbury's as the biggest supermarket in the country. It would, it would. Um, the interesting thing about that is that Asda grew over Christmas in terms of market share. Sainsbury's slipped back. So... But, but as they had been having a very tough time yeah. before that. Uh, to say that market share over Christmas as well is all, also one of those really difficult metrics where um, obviously it gets this sort of abnormal boost. Um, we, they had a very difficult autumn supermarkets and a lot of them went backwards um but yeah if you look at the sort of plain data as it stands tesco is way out in front and so the sainsbury's being the second is is furthest back but then you're also looking in terms of fastest growing versus slowest growing and of course the fastest growing is not the behemoths at the top it's it's the discounters yeah yeah audi little they're still going the right way and and in fact you know little i'm not sure i've said on this podcast several times i quite like little Again, it's a convenience. You pop it on the way home. You pick mm-hmm. up some grub, you pick up a cheap bottle of uh, gin or some Duff beer, which I'm actually some <laughs> Duff beer. You know, they're not online. And, no. and probably for the reason that you alluded to earlier, Phil, that what's the point when you're, you're selling a small amount of food yeah. uh, in, in small baskets for people passing by? Well, and, and their business model demonstrates that if you have real value for money offer that people agree with and can get on board with, then they're willing to make the trip. We say this quite a lot when people talk to us about the death of the high street, don't we? Which is that if you've got something to sell that people actually want, they will go and buy it. It doesn't really matter 
how good your online is or or yeah. not. And it all has car park. High streets, <laughs> uh, car parking is rubbish, right. which I think is one of the problems that the high street is having, actually. Mm. Well, you know, that's a discussion for another time. Um, I mean, Phil, you, you mentioned earlier, um, and I thought it was quite quite a, uh, an interesting observation, you know, putting two large businesses together, two large struggling businesses together, does not buy some magic... Well, it makes uh, a big struggling Big business. struggling business. So this is my great worry about this, <laughs> I this mean, tie-up. I, you know, there's a lots of questions about this this deal it is effectively two struggling businesses getting together and hoping they can solve each other's problems and their their problems are essentially that they they haven't got enough shoppers spending enough money with them and they've got these big stores lots of overhead and they can't really make them work and their pricing is pretty much, particularly Sainsbury's, is out of kilter with Tesco's and the discounters. Do you think that's a problem for Waitrose as well? I mean, they're yes, pricing, they're yes, Waitrose, punchy. even bigger problem for Waitrose. That Waitrose, Waitrose pricing is just ridiculous, really. It is, you know, it makes Sainsbury's look quite cheap, in my opinion. Oh, it does make Sainsbury's look um, cheap. But I think the shopping experience at Sainsbury's and Waitrose is still starkly different. I have no idea. I haven't been into I don't know. I live, in a town, I live in a town where they're basically next door to each other, so I often kind of oscillate between the two, depending how I'm feeling. The Waitrose store experience is far superior to Sainsbury's. You, you, the thing is, your Waitrose shopper isn't price sensitive. Exactly, yeah. You know, that, and, but but that, that business model isn't scalable. Because there's not, not not enough people with the money in the pockets to to scale it out. Mm. Tesco, uh, um, the Sainsbury's, as the one, I, I think it's very very difficult to see how they this gets waved through, and you have this, these two having thirty thirty one percent of the market. I mean, if you go back fifteen sixteen years now to when Morrison's was trying to buy Safeway, and Morrison's was going to end up with about. 10 11% of the market Morrisons was forced to sell stores and the other the other companies picked them up and I can't if this does go through um, and of course the story that's being sold to investors in or potential investors in Sainsbury's and Asda put these two together you have massive buying power you have Walmart still in the background you have Asda and they try and sell a very very uh, compelling story in terms of the massive amount of profit growth that can come by putting these two together. What's perhaps not being talked about as much is what's the impact if they're forced to sell several hundred stores to a stronger competitor. And for me, I think the only potential buyer is probably Morrison's. I don't think I can't see Tesco wanting to buy more. Supermarket stores, or, or being allowed to, or being allowed to. Aldi and Lidl probably don't want big stores. It doesn't fit their business model. It doesn't fit, you know, the, how they have a very very tight range of products. Smaller stores, getting selling a lot of turnover and getting a lot of sales density that way. Um, so there could be opportunities for others here, but whether you know whether anybody really wants to put more money into big stores, I'm I'm sceptical about because it just if you look at Morrison's, Morrison's and Tesco, from what I can see, they're the, they're the ones that are sorting themselves out, getting slightly better. The profits are going up, cash flows going up, the dividends are coming through to shareholders. Um, what you know they 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 are ticking along 
relatively speaking, right. quite nicely. Why would they want to do disrupt Because you saw what happened to Morrison's last time they tried to take on a big load of stores. It messed them up for years. Well, I think, Harry, you, there, there may be a reason why they do it. And I think something you said to me struck a chord, uh, Harry, which is that Morrison's recovery has gone very well, mm-hmm. um, but it may be sort of reaching its, its limit. So, it's peak, so, so they may yeah. be looking for something else to kind of keep that keep that story that momentum going a little bit yeah i agree with you and but i think yeah phil's right i mean is is that buying more stores i mean i just don't know how they're gonna sort of build that out particularly they just don't have the footfall increase that i think would would ultimately fill those stores if anything i think they'd end up cannibalizing a lot of their existing sales potentially from it and of course if we're talking from a pure sort of stock picking point of view the problem with the morrison's recovery is that it to my mind it has always largely been in the price the the stock has traded north of around 20 at least 19 times earnings um, pretty much ever since um, David Potts was able to demonstrate that this was getting back on track. So getting into that recovery play as an investor has been incredibly difficult un- unless you were willing to shell out for it, I guess. Is there anything we like in the sector? <laughs> it's really uh, difficult. Coming back on the Morrisons, I think one of the things, Morrisons are still quite unrepresented in parts of the country. Um the thing about the Safeway deal, one of the really bad things about the Safeway deal is that Safeway struggled for years because it had a lot of stores in what what's termed in the trade secondary locations. They, they were never able to get the footfall through to make the profits from the business. Hence, they ended up being sold sold to Morrisons. They they had massive IT problems there as well, if I remember right. Yeah. The, the IT, there was either non-existent IT or the integration was an absolute nightmare. But there must be, I, I think there must be some Asda stores or Sainsbury's stores out there that could fill a geographic gap in a better location that Morrisons perhaps could get it to work for it. And obviously, that's one of the things. That if you're Sainsbury's and Asda, do you really want to? Do you really want Morrison's taking you on in the same town? You know, if I look at you know, if I look at you know, around where I live, you have town with a big Sainsbury's and a big Asda. And let's say that they keep the Sainsbury's and they flog the Asda, and Morrison's buys the Asda. That's potentially a headache for Sainsbury's. Yeah, they're quite close, aren't they? Yeah. We live close to each other. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're around the, the North Springfield area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. is interesting from the Morrison's uh, results that we had earlier in, in the year is that they were very explicit about price investment this year as well, um, which I think, you know, they're obviously turning their attention much more to driving volume rather yeah. than um, relying on inflation, which, as the data shows us from the whole industry, is is not the good way to go anyway. So it'll be interesting, I suppose, if they are going to take on Asda stores or just take on more stores in general, that they obviously see themselves as more able to compete with the discounter. They can take that potential hit to margin because they're confident that the volume will make up for it. Mm. That's a pretty well, that's a pretty confident place to be. It is, and they've also obviously got they've got their own food manufacturing, so they can put. There is a potentially a volume opportunity for Morrison's here for its food manufacturing operations, also in terms of buying power. So obviously, if it gets if it can get its hands on a, I'm obviously we're jumping the gun here because obviously mm. we don't know what's happened. But we're looking at potential scenarios that come out of this. Morrison's, I think Morrison's, I, I think Harriet's right in terms of the valuation. But this is, if you were going to put money in this very horrible sector. <laughs> um, Morrison's is one where they, they could be a bit of 
the story for me is not Sainsbury's Asda. The story is potential for Morrison's that could come out of this. Or you buy the Beast, Tesco. Which is which has done its it's done its I, corporate transactions. It has a good position. It's, I, it's, it, it had a good Christmas. And it's, it had a great Christmas. It was it was declared the winner by Clive Black, who's a uh, Mister Supermarkets at Shawcat. But yeah, I mean, what's been interesting about watching the Tesco and Morrison's sort of um, recovery in in tandem is that I think the Tesco recovery, even though that initially they were priced very similarly, it completely overshadowed the Morrison's recovery. People just didn't even realise what Morrison's was doing in the background, and because it was so in the price at Morrison's people just sort of let it play out and and potentially missed an opportunity there what's happened with the Tesco thing is obviously midway through its big recovery plan it decides to do this monumental deal which shook a lot of people up and the shares didn't respond very well the valuation then starts to look much more attractive if you still believe in that long-term recovery I love that deal I I love that deal that sort of distinguishes Tesco and Morrison's that Tesco needed a deal Mm to sort itself out. Oh, I think it was such a clever right. deal, I really do. Yeah, but, it, but Morrison's has actually done it with it, with what it has already. Yeah, true. And it's um, both of these shares, I think I've, I've mentioned this few, you know, the last few months, from an income perspective, both these companies actually look quite interesting because I think if you look at the projection of dividend growth on forecast, the, these, these are two shares that in a couple of years' time on today's share prices are yielding 4%. Which I know is you know not stonking yield, but it's not bad. It's decent. It's decent, and these these are stable businesses now. Uh, these could become you know quite interesting income stocks. Should, should we quickly switch back before we go into house builders? Shall we quickly switch back to Ricardo because we haven't actually talked much about the fire mm. because because it happened after. This- has happened after the magazine went to press, and it actually has some some serious implications. In and of itself. Yeah. So should we quickly just go through those before we get on to house builders? I mean, what is the potential impact of this? Um, Yeah, it's sort of worth giving a a time frame because, as I said, the results came out about five hours later. We get the first press release saying there's a fire, but they've contained it. And that's sort of all we're told. Fast forward to the following morning, we get a second press release saying, okay, um, actually, we didn't contain it and it blazed all night. Well, it sounded like a small fire when they first mentioned it. Yeah. And when I saw the pictures, it's absolutely enormous. It's enormous. You can find the pictures online quite easily if you're interested to look. But yeah, it's it's enormous. They told us that the roof had caved in and that there had been, quote, substantial damage to to the site. This morning, there's another press release saying that it's 10% of their capacity and that the sales impact um, or the disruption, I suppose, sales disruption is going to be significant. Now, okay, so I'm going to play devil's advocate here in, in a major way. So people hunt who are a big bull on Ocado yeah. because they like the tech story, have downgraded it, it to a hold as a result. But who cares if capacity has gone uh, up in smoke, as it were, <laughs> because it's a tech story. So I don't quite get this. This seems to be something paradoxical about this. You know, okay, so so the, the numbers, whatever, they're not making any profit anyway. They're burning through cash. No pun intended. Um, but so what? So what if there's a fire? It's a, it's a tech play. So why Dan Gray? I'm going to highlight another Suedo tech stock, which also had a big fire. Any guesses? ASOS. ASOS, The Buntsfield exactly. Oil Depot disaster. Indeed. Yeah, I remember it well. And it had it had a proper impact on their numbers for a little while. So, you know... They were tiny then at that point, though. They uh, were tiny. S- smaller, yes. Yeah. <laughs> they were. Um, but, you know... Actually, they might have had another fire after that. Hemel Hempstead? Yeah, Hemel Hempstead was the big one. Yeah. Had, I'm sure they had another They had another small incident many years later when yeah. they were much bigger, but Bunsfield almost I, wiped them out. Uh, what year was Hemel Hempstead? 
Oh, 05? This, okay, the one I'm thinking about is 2014. Yeah, that was a small fire okay. in, in the grand scheme of But even fires. that, even that had some impact. Obviously, from an insurance point of view, they're covered. So we can kind of breathe a sigh of relief in that respect. I just don't, I just don't understand why, why, if this is a, an IP story, which a tech play generally is, why, why 10% capacity being taken out would, would turn you from a bull to, uh, to, to neutral. Just don't get it. Yeah, well... It, I, 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 I don't think... have, it, have it explained to me. No, no, no. You know, obviously, you're losing, you're losing revenue from selling food. Yeah, but so what? But it's a tech story. Yeah, so what? Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, it doesn't affect tech revenue. Exactly. I'm curious. Well, as we pointed uh, out at the beginning of, dis- of the discussion, you know, it's it's only half a tech story. The other half is physical warehousing. I, I think it's extremely confused, and that is my final say on the matter. <laughs> Let's move on to house builders. House builders dominate your alpha report this week we, we you have uh had a look at uh, carpet right uh, as well which is another company which we which as we discussed before we came on air confuses us a great deal because this should have gone bust nearly a decade ago don't understand how it's hanging on fair play to them um but the share price is ugly ryanair which had yeah some hideous numbers yeah. this week we won't you can read those in the report um but let's talk house builders because this is a contentious sector that has roared back to life share price wise uh at the beginning of this year is there any uh, basis for that um yeah i i think that the valuations have come down a lot um i think if you look if you look back at maybe a year 15 18 months ago you had a you had a sector that was trading on if you look at it on price to asset value which is the way that, that most people look at this they were making record high returns margins and they were trading at pretty much peak multiples of book value or nav and the profits have kept growing and the share prices have gone nowhere so there's been a catch up in terms of of profitability with the valuation therefore the valuation has come down and of course there's all sorts of talk about what politics might do to this which i'm a little bit skeptical about i think it all just comes down to affordability really and house price affordability but that they look quite well set as in as long as the market doesn't crash they've got government support until 2023 now um the profits are still still good still high margins are still high and the valuations now are much more sensible and they are pricing in you know they are pricing in a slowdown well i mean we have some evidence that that slowdown is 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 really taking hold we had some uh, uh numbers from the halifax this morning the house price index uh, 0.8% house price increase over the year. That, I mean, that's coming. That's that's a real sharp slowdown. Um, and obviously, some regions it's much higher than that. But some regions it's going backwards now. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm a bear of house pricing in in the UK. I think house prices are way way overvalued relative to people's wages, relative to rents. Not in all markets, but you know, in a large chunk, particularly in the south and the southeast. Um, the build, the house builds, of course, have been a little bit cushioned from what's been going on in the secondary market because they've got still got subsidised mortgages through help to buy. It's very interesting, actually. You look at the the second secondary housing market that when help to buy was taken away from that just over two years ago, surprise, surprise, that market started to go soft, 
um, and help to buy is, is only on new builds now. And selling price inflation is still fairly reasonable across the sector, some better than others. London markets definitely going soft, and that's an issue for certain companies in the sector. We've seen Crest, um, Crest Nicholson um, have a lot of weakness in the south and the southeast, and Red Row, which has reported this week, I mean, over half their revenues are coming from London and the southeast. And I think we've had we've had three builders this week. Um, we've had Barrett, uh, Red Row, and this morning we've had uh, we've had Bellway. And all the figures look pretty decent. You know, the trends there, the, the volumes are there, the margins are there, um, dividends are up, but there is beginning to be a theme i think in this sector where there are signs signs of slowdown crest nicholson has been has been slowing down we can see that but looking at red row and looking at bellway um red row is red row's order book and bellway's order book is behind where it was last year now they say that the end of the end of last year was all oh, people were Making up their minds about what the politics would would uh, would would be, and they're holding off buying. Um, but I'm I'm not so sure. Cancellation rates are nudging up a little bit in both in in both companies. And the other thing is now is that margins margins um, look like they've pretty much peaked because all the cheap land that was left over from the last recession. And the house price inflation is soft leveling off means that the ability to leverage that land and make big profits for a lot of the house builders that's gone. Yeah, I think I wrote in my editorial a while back about a piece of land near my the station I uh, yeah. travel to work from every morning, um, which used to be an old dairy, uh, which sat vacant for for a long, long time. That's now been bought yeah. in the last couple of weeks by Bellway. Yeah, fact. yeah. The builders always work backwards from the selling price to work out what they pay for the land. And we always target minimum sort of 20%, low 20% gross margin on on that. So if house prices hold up and they sell the houses, they can make good returns. Obviously, we know that if, if house prices then go more than they expect, their margins expand. If they fall to lower than they expect, their margins start to contract, which is why they always give themselves a big, a big buffer. Are they having to work a bit harder in terms of incentives? Uh, yeah. So, you know, park exchange, yeah. that sort of thing. There are, from what I can see, there are signs that, that is beginning to create... I wouldn't say it was significant. It's kind of holding steady. But obviously that is something that you do look for. If t- times get tougher, they will have to offer offer more, more incentives. The other thing as well is that build cost inflation is still running... At the sort of three to four percent level, but we're seeing, we're seeing some interesting, um, you know, initiatives from from house builders in terms of you know uh, kind of prefab type approaches. Yeah, but this is this is apprenticeship a, schemes. Yeah, and this is definitely a trend. Probably Barrett's is the main one where this is going on. They are looking very carefully at their housing design and and their and their construction, and they are trying to incorporate modern construction techniques they're using a lot of more timber frames steel frames blocks and sort of standardizing and simplifying the building so they, they these 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 can go go up quicker they can sell them quicker and they need fewer builders to put them together and so, they can train those builders yeah 
but it but it sort of it works it ticks a lot of boxes for them in that they can put them up for cheaper they can put them up, up faster and they can preserve their margin and out of the three builders that reported this week Barrett's for me seems by far the most confident they are selling they are selling a volume story probably better than the other two they they are confident that they can keep building 3 to 5% more houses over the next few years they are less reliant on selling price inflation they've got their land their land looks to have been very smartly bought and if you look at the the cost of that land that's going to get carried through they are still pretty confident that they can keep earning quite high you know quite high margins in the low 20s and good returns on investment the other two whilst they've been taken quite well by by investors i think there are some signs in there that particularly Red Row with its exposure to the southeast, Red Row's land bank as well is not expanding. They they that might be for perfectly rational reasons. They think, well, right, we've got enough. But it's interesting that they're not expanding their land bank, um, whereas others others are. And that to me just sort of makes me think: Are they being really cautious here? Are they trying to bring it back so they haven't got too much money invested in land and they can keep the cash flows and they can keep the profits high um so i think you know what you've seen in the secondary market is perhaps now starting to come through to the new build market in that in that we are seeing some signs of demand softness where we're seeing stronger demand across the board is in affordable housing but you see that the, the amounts of profit aren't the same as they are on private housing. Mm. And so you've got this change of of mix in the sell, in the selling base. So despite that though, I would say whilst I absolutely hate this sector from the fact that it's subsidized to the hilt and it's making huge amounts of money from a sort of fairness point of view, looking at it dispassionately from an investment point of view, I'm probably more optimistic on this sector now than I have been for the last two or three years because I think the valuations have become increasingly pessimistic and they may be too pessimistic. And there may be pockets of value or tra- a, a sort of a, a trading opportunity. Over, I mean, certainly you've seen that in, the, in January. Obviously, the, 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 polit- the politics plays a room. We saw what happened in 2016 to these. Well, you can see that in the graph you put in your advert yeah, report. I so mean, that cl- is uh, absolute carnage. Clearly, that's the big risk. But if this gets sorted out one way or another, given where the valuations of these these companies are now, if you get some clarity on that, I wouldn't be surprised to see house builders keep on kicking on. I, I think I think that that uh, that pessimism point is is true of a number of sectors. Certainly true of your favourite sector, Harriet yeah. Retail. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah, the, big, yeah. the big difference though is that these companies are earning very very good profits still. You can't, <laughs> you can't say that about retail. Yeah, you can't you can't stick a house online. I no, suppose. we'll turn it turn ourselves <laughs> into virtual uh, selves and you can and sell a house online, which I suppose That's is a true. slightly different argument. But ha- house builders always attract low earnings multiples. People rightly never expect the good times to last, but. You know, if this if this wasn't a cyclical business, and you you just looked at the the hard numbers of twenty percent margins, twenty percent returns, you wouldn't. And someone said you could buy a business on this for a single digit price earnings ratio. You'd think, great. Yeah. Now I'm not saying they're going to 
you know they they deserve to trade on twenty times. I think, of course, they don't. But I I just just I think you know my opinion's worth as much as the next. But it's like I I just think there's a bit of potentially a bit left in these. But buy carefully, buy buy and keep an eye on it. I would I would avoid I would. You have to look at geographic exposure. The South looks like it's going soft very quickly. So companies with big exposure to the London and the South, I think you have to tread very carefully. Yeah. Interesting. Well, there you go. Lots to think about there. All related, I suppose, to consumer confidence in in some respects. Oh, my favourite topic. Absolutely. Well, that's one for another time. Uh, Thank you, Harriet, and thank you, Phil. There there is lots more in the the magazine this week, and I think we are about to start seeing results crank up, aren't we, Harriet? Yeah, I'm I'm in denial, but... (laughs) We're always in denial about results. Yeah, but uh, uh, it's coming. Creeps up on us. What do you think gets a company reporting? Well, I mean, company reporting, yeah, it's... uh, Buy the magazine. You yeah, can read buy it the there. Ma- buy the magazine, <laughs> um, where you will find out who are the best uh, yeah. in terms of company reports beyond land securities. Who I always I, rem- I used to cover property. Mm. I remember their reports always being very, very good. Yeah. Um, well, the rest of the list it makes for some interesting reading because they're not all shares that we're massively bullish on. So, um, yeah, take a look. Yep. Good disclosure. We always like. John Barron we have this week. Uh, he's talking about large businesses, funnily enough, on the theme of competition and uh, why they, uh, particularly in the UK, have... have been rubbish at being uh, innovative um he's he's always been a big fan of, of small companies for that reason um we have phil's column mackie d's this week you've been uh, been yeah. at the drive-thru yeah looking at mcdonald's and i guess i, guess, I mean the, the thing they're exploring the whole franchise theme and we've obviously had uh, dominoes having some troubles with that in the uk yeah. and you're seeing seeing uh, what's happening over in the us or in fact with a big franchise business worldwide um we have the usual comment from simon and ab- i mean he, he wrote us 30 pages last week of bargain shares he, he there's no stopping him we have another five this week lots of the news section including an update on one of our tips of the year and stock screen from algae on uh, deep value and alex newman looking at rare earths and uranium this week and of course we've got our supplement which is about sips and how you put one together how you go about choosing it investing in it and then enjoying it when you get to retirement uh, the road to a perfect pension has a plan and save for dream requirement and everything else in the magazine on sale at all good news agents or get online and subscribe See you next week. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart.